We're going to jump into the sermon and hear the anthem songs for today. Uh, so take out your notes, whatever you take your notes on, and let's get ready. Anthems is a series where we talk about what is the culture saying, because we believe music is important, but what is God saying also? So let's get ready for that. Restoration Church. Uh, my name is Nate Gagney. If I've never met you before, so glad to have you here. And um, if you were paying attention, um, well, let me give you a little bit of a backstory here. Uh, U-Turn is our student ministries at Restoration Church. 
And uh, so um, meeting at, you know, meet at um, uh, Dover and in Plymouth on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, the leaders of U-Turn have been helping the teenagers to give to their Kingdom Builders project, uh, which is Speed the Light. And so they're raising money for Speed the Light for Convoy of Hope. And so they put this challenge out to them. Hey, if we raise a certain amount of money, then the specific leaders will dye their hair pink. So you'll see kind of some pink hair um, running around at your location. And I just wanted to give just a brief history lesson. Um, you know, I've been uh, on staff here at the church for 16 years. Before I was lead pastor, I did actually help lead U-Turn. And there was a time when I, too, dyed my hair pink. It was a pink, a pink mohawk. Um, I did shave it off shortly after. I didn't wear it to my job or anything because it would be weird to, like, wear that while you're preaching a funeral or visiting someone at a hospital. I already get enough looks when I park in clergy parking. I don't need to step out with a pink mohawk. So anyway, that's a little bit of history for you. Now, a question, I'd like some participation here, even for those, um, those who are at another location. I need, I'm going to need you to raise your hand and really be honest with me, all right? So no lying here, no being embarrassed. Have you ever put a picture of your ex on a dartboard and thrown darts at it? Who's done that? We've got some hands. I'm glad... Uh, some people, it's like stereotypical, but I think there's once in your life, you're like, you know, maybe I should do that. And I, and I have done that. I was 14 years old, and um, that, that young lady, she, at the end of a church service, she said, hey, Nate, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And she said, I think God wants us to break up. And I'm like, that was a short, that was a short three weeks. That was, that was so, that was so sad. Uh, I remember when I was seven years old, and this goes to a whole, whole different level, but my aunt got a divorce, and when we went to my grandparents' house, she had all of her wedding photos, they took them out, and I don't know what took over, I don't know if it was, I don't know what took over my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and my parents, but they took out the whole wedding album and began to cut his picture out of all the photo albums, begin to cross out pictures, begin to draw faces on him, begin to cut out, like, you, you know, of one relative, and they would glue his, like, his face on all the pictures, and they did that, what seemed to me like for hours, which is absolutely the most fun I've ever had at any family event. <laughs> and, uh, and this is almost, as we looked at the song that Louis Capaldi wrote, he's not talking about, um, he, he's not talking about getting revenge on someone. He's talking through the pain of having someone that you've loved and they're not there anymore. And the worst part about a relationship breakup is that, you know, when you're feeling that miserable, the person you go to for consolation, for help, is the person that brought you that pain. So you're almost like feeling like, where do I even turn? I've got, if I can't turn to them, where do I turn? And that was one of the big emotions that was being sung about in the song. He, he wrote, for now the day bleeds into nightfall, and you're not here to get me through it all. I let my guard down, so I put my trust in you. I, I loved you. I, I, you know, I let you know who I really am. And then he says, then you pulled the rug. I was getting kind of used to being someone you loved. This is a lot of emotion in this song, and certainly 
something that probably most of us have felt before, whether we were 14 or 44, whether we, you know, it was something that happened a long time ago. This is something, really an emotion that we've, that probably most of us have felt. In the psalm that we're reading today, which is a song that was, uh, that was written, that's recorded in the Bible, that for many uh, millennia the church sang together. The song was written by a guy named David who, who wrote a lot of the songs that are in the Bible. And he wasn't writing about a romantic relationship that ended, but he was talking about a friendship that ended. And it's very painful for him, and he was writing about that. So we're going to look at that song today. It is Psalm chapter 41. If you turn to the table of contents, the word Psalm starts with the letter P, and then go to 41. So this is the 41st song that is recorded in the book of Psalms. And yeah, as you're turning there, again, just want to say hi to every location, to those watching online. We're glad that you're here. We're so excited about the things that God's doing in our church. Excited for baptisms next week. And uh, just, man, just uh, amazing. Every single testimony of someone saying what God's done in their life and, um, and just sharing that with the whole church. We anticipate packed out locations next week. Um, our attendance, our baptism Sundays always have the most people, and um, because people are inviting friends and family to come and participate with them, but they are Sundays that you do not want to miss. Even if you don't know the people being baptized, you know the God who did the transformation, and so you don't want to miss those. Man, there are tears and laughter. There are, you walk out of here thinking, that's why I give, that's why I serve, that's why I follow God, that's why I worship. And if you've ever questioned it before, you walk out, like just lit up and say, yeah, God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. You just walk out like, man, you walk out um, uh, like, a, like a Steelers fan after the Patriots cut Antonio Brown. Like you are like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, so anyway... Um, Psalm 41, here's the, here's the things that's kind of going on in David's life before we read this. Now, he, we don't always know what was happening in his life when he wrote one of these songs, so it's a little bit of speculation, and this song is a little bit the same. Uh, there's some who think that he was king when he wrote this song, and really it came during a time when not only his son Absalom had turned against him, but his closest advisor... Um, and I'm going to have to read his name here, but it's, uh, I, as much as I practiced it, it was uh, Ahithophel. His closest advisor, Ahithophel, had betrayed the king and went and was part of his son's revolution and part of his son's betrayal. So that we can really speculate that these are the emotions that he's feeling as he's written this song. So you kind of, if you're a king, anticipate that maybe one of your sons will overthrow you, but you never really anticipate your closest friend being a person who would betray you as well, who'd turn on you. And as we begin to read, and we'll look at later in the psalm, this was actually prophetic, this song, and it, was, uh, and it, and it spoke about Jesus, and it talked about the betrayal and the end of the friendship that Judas and Jesus had, that Judas had turned his back on Jesus. And this is speaking to those events as well. Now, Psalm 41, we're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll start reading at verse number five. We'll go down to verse number nine. It says, but my enemies say nothing but evil about me. 
How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip, and when they leave, they spread it everywhere. Just pause for a second there. Uh, because he's king, when a king's on your deathbed, everybody's they're just showing up to find out how, soon, how close to death you are. You know, am I going to get a promotion? Am I going to lose my job? You know, do I have a chance to become king? And so no one's really showing up because they care about him. Or, you know, not, not very many people are showing up. A lot of people are showing up with their own purposes and their own plans in mind. So he says, all who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. Could this be it? The king's finally going to die. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. This emotion that he's talking about is really, um, is what I want to talk about a little bit. Because if you've been there, if you've experienced that, if you've, if you've felt that, I think it's important you know you're not alone. And I think it is important to know that you can move past this. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, uh, I want you to write this down. This is very, very simple, but we want to make sure that you get it and you understand it. It is this, it, it, it hurts us when people hurt us. It's like, that, you know, that seems so obvious, but we act when we've been hurt, oftentimes like, yeah, that didn't bother me. We act like everything's okay when people are like, hey man, how are you doing? Like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And we won't ever even admit what is going on in our heart and how deeply we've been hurt. Some of that is just our pride. We don't want to give the other person the, you know, the satisfaction that they were able to injure us, the, the satisfaction that we cared so much. But you know, it is, it is unhealthy spiritually. It is unhealthy emotionally. It's unhealthy physically for you to just pretend that you're not hurting when you really are. And it, it, this messes you up spiritually because you're in a service and you're not able to worship God because you're not able to cast your cares upon him. You're in a service and, you, and, and you're, you're not even thinking about how God can transform your life because you're too busy thinking about maybe how you get revenge like we talked about last week. Maybe thinking about how you, you know, about how they wronged you, about how you would have done it different, about everything you'd say to them. These, you know, we've got to be able to admit that it hurts, that we've been hurt, and that, yeah, other people have hurt us. We, we get here, and so David, he's talking about this, even my best friend, the one who I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, he's turned against me. He's like, he, he, you know, he's, he's looking at everything that's transpired. He's like, how could you do this to me? I shared my flaming hot Cheetos with you. And you're going to, you're turning your back on me? Like, man, everything I had. And, and this deep, deep pain is what he's writing this song out. I don't know if you've been there. I tell you what, I've been there. I don't know if it's the nature of being, uh, uh, being a pastor. But when we come in and we have service together, you know, we have communion together, we have meals together, we, we go over people's homes together, and then I, I, this is, and this is what happens to me, you find out, like, 
oh, these people have been talking bad about me and my family and the church, and they've left, and they never said goodbye. And I tell you what, that was, that was those moments you come in, I, I'll come into church, and I'm, I'm just a shell. I thought, we were, I thought we were friends. You were my friend. How is it that we can act this way toward each other? How is it that we can treat each other that way? And when it's almost like the inside of your chest has just formed this big hollow cavity. It's just empty. Just the life is out of you. You're almost walking as a zombie. I can't believe this has happened. It's this deep pain that happens when you find out you find out that a friend's been talking bad about you, the friend's left you, the friend is no longer your friend. It's this pain that you experience when you find out that the person you're in a relationship with has left you. It's not, and it's not even like there's been ongoing problems. It's just all of a sudden, what do you mean you've had an affair? What do you mean you're leaving me? What do you mean you're not coming home? What do you mean? It's this pain. We were best friends. We shared everything. And now you feel like you've lost everything. It hurts when people hurt us. Our response to the pain we've had in our life is a lot like the artist in the song where he says, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for things to numb the pain in our life. And we're just, again, trying to just avoid what we've been dealt with. This part of the, of the song in Psalm 41, verse number 9, Jesus quoted this song when he, when he was here on earth. And uh, he, this happened on the night where he was eating dinner with friends. And he was letting them know, hey, Guys, what's about to happen in the, few, in the next few hours, in the next couple of days, I've tried to prepare you for it, but let me try one last time. And it was at an event called the Last Supper. So it was his last supper with his disciples before he was going to be executed. And he said, one of you is going to betray me. And they were all like looking at each other like, who's going to betray? Tell us, who's, who's it going to be? And Jesus quoted this in John 13, 18. He said, I'm not, saying these, uh, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, second part of the verse. He said, but this fulfills the scripture that says, Psalm 41, verse 9, the one who eats my food has turned against me. And Jesus was quoting a different translation than I read this morning. The one who shared my food has turned against me. And he knew who he was talking about. He was talking about Judas. But the other guys didn't know who he was talking about. And Judas knew who, who, who he was talking about. He knew the plan and the schemes that he'd been working on. And what Judas had planned to do, and the high priests and the people who wanted Jesus dead, and they wanted him to be, uh, to, they, they wanted him to be put to trial, there was nothing wrong that, he, that, he, that he'd done. There was nothing worth it. There was nothing they could find. And they tried hard. So they begin to work and having private conversations with the disciples, and finally one began to listen, and that was Judas. He had been meeting with them. We don't know how long, but he finally knew in his heart, that's it, I'm going to go, 
and I'm going to make a false accusation against Jesus. I'm going to testify against him, so that way they'll be able to, they'll be able to criminalize him. And when this meal ended, even before it really ended, Judas left. He went to the home of the high priest. He said, all right, I'm ready. And they paid him 30 pieces of, of silver to be a false witness against Jesus. And at the, when the meal was over and Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane with the, uh, with the 11 disciples to pray, he knew it was coming. He knew what Judas had left to do. But even still, when he had finally, you know, a few different times woken up to the disciples and said, hey, pray with me, thou, you know, pray with me, pray with me, he finally said, all right, like, wake up, it's happening, they're on their way. And Judas came in with soldiers, and the part of it that really, if you really put yourself in the situation of Jesus, that makes it uh, even more disgusting and more heartbreaking is Judas had told the soldiers, the one whom I kiss. That's Jesus. So when Judas shows up, he's like, hey, Jesus. And he goes to give him an embrace, gives him a kiss on the cheek. That was his sign. This is the one you want to arrest. Just imagine yourself in that situation. You know, we forget how much the disciples were involved with Jesus and how much he was involved in their life. When he made that, when he gave them the invitation you know, just over three years prior, and he said, hey, come follow me. He did that to every disciple. Come follow me. Come be a part of what I'm doing. He did that with Judas as well. And it was the invitation to leave your career, to leave status quo, and to be a part of Jesus in ministry. And they went into, essentially at that point, into full-time ministry. They were taught by Jesus. They had almost every meal together with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They prayed with Jesus. And the one thing that we maybe we don't understand is Jesus paid for everything. As he went and did ministry, people said, hey, listen, can I pay for you to travel to this town? Can I pay for you to go here? And so Judas actually became the treasurer, taking care of the finances of the ministry. And Jesus, he paid for everything. He paid for their lodging. He paid for their travel. He paid for their meals. And now here's Judas, who's going to get 30 pieces of silver coming coming to Jesus and saying, hey, thanks. Let me give you, let me give you a kiss. Let me, I'm going to turn you in. This is painful. This is, this is so heart-wrenching. And one famous, um, one famous pastor from history's past, Charles Spurgeon, said this about this moment. He said, the kiss of a traitor wounded our Lord's heart as much as a nail wounded his hand. And we think about the agonies that Jesus went through on the cross, having his hands and feet nailed to his cross. We think about the agony he went through before the crucifixion, having to carry his own cross, having been beaten, having had his beard ripped out, having been whipped. That was physical pain. But when Judas came and gave him that kiss on the cheek, it was as excruciatingly painful as the nails through his hands and his feet. This deep, painful emotion that maybe you understand 
because you've been hurt like that. You've been hurt as deeply as that. Many of us have. And if you're you're in a place, you're just trying to live your life, you're just trying to serve the Lord, you know what? There's an enemy who caused Judas to betray Jesus who's trying to cause people in your life to betray you the same way. That if he can injure you so much that you're not able to move forward, trying to injure you so much that you can't, that you're not able to show the joy, that you can't even really experience the joy of the Lord, trying to injure you so deeply that you're a shell of who you used to be, trying to keep you from trusting, trying to keep you from loving, trying to keep you from even your church family. Now, it hurts us when people hurt us. Uh, second part of this, again, which is so obvious, but we get so stuck on this. We get stuck for years, not able to move forward. And it's this, when we hurt, we need healing. We've got to work through the process of becoming whole again. We have to work through the process of, of healing. We have to work through the process of restoration in our life. One, to just... Tell the enemy, no, you can't keep the goodness of God from my heart and my life. And the artist saying, and I'll read the words to you again. He said, I need somebody to heal. I need somebody to know. I need somebody to have. I need somebody to hold. But it's never the same. I guess I kind of like the way you numbed all the pain. And when we in our heart of experienced pain, and we think, all right, well, this is it. I need, I, I need, I need healing. What we, when we communicate is what we're actually trying to do is just to numb the pain. We're not going through the hard work of getting healing from what has happened to us. We're just trying to take the easy route of numbing the pain that we're experiencing. Instead of looking for things that numb the pain, things like rebound relationships, and, and you know, you could, we can chuckle about that because you know, us or our friends, you know, we can even elbow each other like, yeah, you, you know, you, you know, remember that. But we're just, you know, I don't want to feel this way, so I'm going to jump into a quick relationship so that way at least I'm not alone through this. We can look to hookups, it's just anybody to make me feel better, anything to numb the pain I'm going through. We can look to substances, again, trying to numb the, the, deep, the, the deep infected pain in our heart. Just something, stop me from feeling this way. Anything. Anything. We'll, sometimes we feel in so much pain, we'll go to anything to bring numbness. There's, but there's something much deeper that God offers us than just numbness. He offers us a healing and a change and a transformation that really comes from no, no other source. When we're in pain and we're looking, what can bring healing? What can bring healing? What can bring numbness? The, the question I want to teach you and direct you, and, and this is so hard for us, but to turn and ask, who can bring healing? And it's really, you've got to understand, it is not another person. 
who can bring that healing. There's a, a, another preacher from the past, Dr. Wilbur Chapman, and he said this in a sermon about Jesus. He said, friends, fail me, foes assail me, he my savior makes me whole. It's actually another song. Friends may fail me, my foes assail me, but he my savior makes me whole. You think about that. When we've been wronged by an enemy, really, we wouldn't expect anything less. And when our friends fail us and they let us down, and even when it seems like they were actively attacking us, we realize that they're people. When we look at our Savior, though, when we look at Jesus, we realize and we look at him, he's not just some religious token that we've identified with. It's not just a bunch of good sayings. No, he's our savior that can take even the deepest cavern of hurt in our life and fill it. Make us whole again. And this is a complete, a, a complete transformation in our life. When he's made us whole, we're able to trust again. We're able to have friends again. We're able to forgive again. We're able to smile again. We have joy again. This is the dramatic work he does in our life. So if you're someone and you're, and you're like, you know what? I don't have wholeness in my life. There's still, and maybe God has done some backfill work in your heart. There's things you recognize that he's, that he's begun to do, but you realize it's not complete. Or maybe you just realize, you know what, the cavern in my heart, the pain in my heart has been there for so long, I don't even know what to do. I want to give you some things to do, all right? Here is one that I think is absolutely pivotal and key and one that is very, very easy for you. I want you to memorize this scripture. It's from another, another song in the Bible talking about Jesus, talking about God. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. I want you to memorize that. Leave that up there for a second. And people have a chance to write it down or just you've got a photographic memory. You're just going to memorize it right now. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. When you've experienced that deep devastation, that loss, that betrayal, the end of a friendship, end of a relationship. This scripture comes to mind. We just remember, we're like, where do I turn to? Where do I turn to? And the scripture comes to mind. Oh, it's God. He heals broken hearts. And when we remember that scripture and we recite that scripture, then we begin to pray that scripture. Jesus, I ask you, where I'm standing right now to heal this hurt in my life. Heal the hurt from a parent who walked out on me. Heal the hurt from a friend who left me. Heal the hurt from a relationship that, that where they betrayed me. Heal this broken heart. I encourage you to tell God, and the second thing, tell God about the broken places in your heart. You can do like David, who so often went to writing songs about his enemies writing songs about how 
you know, hard and difficult things that had happened to him, maybe that's you. Maybe you're someone, you're going to write a poem, you're going to paint a painting, but you're going to express to God what is going on. Maybe you're someone who just writes in a journal. I know for me, when I'm the most hurt, the, the process that I take that is most helpful for me is I write my prayers to God. So I get out my journal, and, you know, if my kids ever read my, you know, my prayer journal later in life, they're like, man, poor dad. <laughs> but, but when I write in my journal, I'm like, God, this is what I'm feeling. And that slowness allows me to really process what I'm feeling, because I can't write as fast as I think. Here's what, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's hurting. Here's how I felt about the way they treated me, and I write those things out. And then at the end of it, I'm going to say, here's what I need, God. I begin to write down, not just my pity party, but writing down, God, you heal the brokenhearted, and I need you to do that in my life right now. Tell God the broken places of your heart. And then you go into this process, you got to forgive those who hurt you. Jesus before he was betrayed, before any of these things happened, before Judas knew that Jesus knew what was really going on, Jesus taught us to pray. And it's the Lord's Prayer. It's very famous. But there's one part of the line that says, forgive us our debts. Our prayer to God, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those who have debts against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those people who've sinned against us. We're going to forgive those who've wronged us. We're going to forgive those who hurt, who've hurt us. We're going to forgive those who've betrayed us. But that's not an easy thing to do. But that's a must do. Jesus, when he was betrayed and and Judas betrayed him and he was arrested, he was beaten and he was treated brutally. Again, there was no accusation against him. It was all, they just, the priests at the time just hired people to lie about him. And when he was hung on that cross, after his head had gone through the agony of the cross and the agony in his heart, he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We have the same prayer. We don't know how, we can't in our, in our earthly mind ever figure out how Jesus could ever do that. And maybe we can't even figure out how we're going to do that. That's really simple. You just out loud in prayer say, God, I forgive this person. And sometimes that's met by a wave of emotion you say it again till you mean it, till you believe it, till you're free from it. And when things come up eight weeks later, you forgive again. I want to ask you this question, though. We think about how wrong we've been treated. Haven't we, haven't we treated Jesus the exact same way? Every day he gives us our daily bread. That was another part of the Lord's Prayer. Every day he gives us 
what we need. He's close to us. He's given us full access to the kingdom of God. He's there for us. And so often we eat his daily bread, just his word, his encouragement, the things he gives us. And then we just consistently, kind of constantly run to other things. Hey, God, could you give me what I need? Thanks. And then we go and do whatever we want. Don't we treat him the same way that our friends have treated us? Don't we treat him the same way that those people who hurt us have treated us? And we, we, we're like, you know, when we, in our relationship with God, we can be like a spouse who says, I'll be home at six and then comes home a few days later. We go to God and say, hey, God, I'm here for you. And then we're gone for the entire week. And we show up at church like, I forgot. <laughs> I'm here for you. And then we go through an entire week, an entire month, sometimes entire years. And when we show back up to God, and he's got a warm embrace to, uh, for us and to us. Listen, I, as you're thinking about this, what happens in our life when we say, all right, I've got healing and pain in my heart. When we realize, all right, I'm not going to chase things to try to numb the pain. I'm going to go after the, I'm going to go to the healer. I'm going to go to Jesus and allow him to heal the pain. What we're saying in those moments is, I want you, Jesus, to be Lord of my life. And we've prayed that before. Maybe you've prayed that before. You've made that declaration before. But now in our actions, we're living that way. God, I'm not going to chase these relationships or these substances or these other things to numb my pain. I'm coming to you to heal the pain because I'm actively living my life and, and, and I'm, I'm actively making a decision. You are Lord of my life. And I go to you for healing. I go to you. Maybe you're a person in here who's far from God and you don't even consider God, like even through the whole service today, you're like, I don't get it, the God thing, I don't get it, you know, it's not for me. But I want you to consider the source of the healing that you've tried before and to figure out the outcome. You say, I don't need God, I've dealt with all this fine, but just be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me, all right, so I can't use it to convince you anything, but just be honest with yourself. You've tried all these things as the source of your healing. Hasn't really brought you healing. Or have you just been so good at burying it? So good at burying it. And props to you for, for burying it, because I know when I've tried that, it hasn't worked. But you've managed it well, all right? But you've only managed it. It hasn't brought you healing. And listen, I'm not going to try to convince you anything, but you go home today... You're, you're, you know, you're dealing with something later this week and just begin to just, if you get to the place, you're like, you know what? I haven't gotten healing. I want you to think about this. The God who's healed us, the God who, he, you know, he can heal you. Just consider that. Maybe today you're someone and you're just like, you know what? This is it. I, um, I've tried to bring healing in my, all these areas of my life. It hasn't worked. But man, today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm going to begin serving him today. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to take care of my own life now. I'm, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to make him Lord of my life. 
That's an easy thing to do. It's a simple prayer. You admit that you're a sinner. You acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross. And then you ask him to be Lord of your life. It's an easy thing to do when that happens. Everything in your life changes and continues to change. And the healing that you've never been able to produce on your own, he does that healing in your life. These are the places that we're at. And maybe you've just been following God for a long time, but you've never known him as healer this way. Don't let the enemy keep bringing up this pain on you anymore. You know the healer. Memorize that scripture. Take a journal. Take a guitar. Write out the things that have really been going on. Open every painful area of your heart and show it, bring it before God and let him deal with it. Let him do, let him do in your heart what he wants to do to bring healing and wholeness and restoration. If you close your eyes, I want to take a moment and pray for you. I know we're all at different places. At the end of, when, in just a moment, the band's going to sing again and uh, prayer team at every location, I want you to come forward now because I want you to be here. If someone wants to come up right when I say amen to, to be prayed for, we invite you to do that. If you want to wait until the band's singing to come forward, we invite you to do that. If you're a little bit more shy and you want to wait until people start leaving and you're going to sneak in at the very end, we invite you to do that. But don't go through this alone. You just realize you're so embarrassed about it, but don't be embarrassed about it. Every single one of us, and, and I've had places where I've had to go to the deacon board of the church and say, I am hurting. I need you guys to pray for me today. This person treated me this way, and it's just been devastating to me. We all end up in those places. You've been carrying it for a long time, but and you don't have to carry it anymore. Jesus, I pray for every single person in here. And I ask your Holy Spirit to begin working in our heart, to begin encouraging us and telling us what you can do, how you can heal, how you can set free, how you can deliver, how you can transform the broken, cavernous areas of our heart and life and bring healing and restoration, how you can bring healing to every person who is brokenhearted. We've been in those places where we feel like we trusted someone and they pulled the rug out from underneath us. Well, we thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you never do that to us. Each day you gave us, you give us our daily bread. Each day when we ask you forgive, for forgiveness, you do it. And even as many times as we've walked away from you, as we've took advantage of you, we, you've never been in a place for you weren't still fully trusting of us and you didn't still fully love us. We ask you, Jesus, heal every broken heart. Heal every broken heart. For those who are asking from you, for those who you know, are still wrestling with, it won't make any difference. And for those who said, I don't need God, Lord, every single person, when they ask you to dramatic powerful, complete work in their heart in the moment they pray. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.